Hello and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Megan Vole. And I'm your co-host, Emily Hutchinson. And we are here with Farin Mirage. Thanks for being here, Farin. Thank you for having me. And just to start off, um, can you tell us a little bit about the program you're in and the research you're doing right now? Uh, so the program that I'm doing is um, Master's in Research for Policy and Evaluation, and it is, in short, it's called MRPE. This is kind of a new program, and they only started it in 2020, and we are the first cohort to actually be uh, offline, as, as far as I know. Um, so what they're doing is it's a one-year program. The two, two terms, first two terms are uh, coursework, and the third term is internship. So they define themselves as professional, a professional master's. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I took up this program because I this is my second master's and my first master's was in uh, clinical psychology uh, when I was in India. And when I came to Canada, I first of all wanted to apply my interest in social psychology and my work in organizational psychology into something that was more at policy level, uh, at a more applied level, and um, something that would translate to the Canadian context. So I think this program was perfect for me. It wasn't too long. It would give me a transition to, as an immigrant, <laughs> transition to um, get into the um, labor market in Canada and also give me experience and uh, some background on how things work. Um, your question about my research. So I am doing, um, I don't have, because it's not really a research-based program, although it is, um, although there is research involved. So, uh, so there's not one project that I am working on academic-wise. However, I have tried to keep my projects, my um, assignments consistent to immigrant integration. Um, also, uh, I also do part-time work for, um, for my program supervisor. Um, and that is also uh, to evaluate another program, which is the Welcome Group program that mm. works for immigrant uh, refugee integration. So we are evaluating that. So I've tried to keep it consistent. Yeah. Okay, wow, this that sounds so interesting. I have a lot of questions, but I wanna start back at the beginning. So you did a first master's in India. Can you tell mm. us a little bit about that? What were you researching and then how did that all wrap up? Yeah, um, so my first master's, as I mentioned, it was in clinical psychology. Now, the reason I did a clinical psychology was I was actually interested in social psychology, but there weren't really, um, uh, you know, good programs that I knew of in social psychology. And it, clinical psychology is more like uh, natural sciences. So if you take up a natural science degree, then you can go into other fields, maybe a social science, but you cannot, act, if you take a social science, you cannot go into a natural science. At least that's how it is in India. Um, similarly, if I took up clinical psychology, I could go into other uh, areas of psychology. Um, so that's the reason I took that up. It was a very clinical-based uh, program. We did clinical internships, uh, but my uh, research, my master's dissertation, was actually on prejudice. So I worked on understanding religious uh, prejudice and sexual prejudice in India and its predictors. Um, 
I never published that research because I I am too um, uh, like I I want things to be perfect and I just thought that it's just not perfect enough to be published. But Aww. yeah, but it did, yeah, it did define my interest for sure. I was interested in uh, how people's attitudes are shaped, and yeah, and that translated into uh, my other uh, studies that I did. So I'm curious um, about your research on newcomer integration. Um, I actually don't know the term. So would you be able to elaborate on that and um, how it fits in, I guess, to the Canadian context? Because I remember you said you were working with the welcome group. And I just I'm really interested in this term. Sure. Um, newcomer integration is a term actually I used for uh, another project that I start. I'm sorry. I'm just like giving you different project yeah that's <laughs> totally okay uh, lay it on us we want to know yeah mm-hmm. um so it is a systematic review that i'm doing uh otherwise you can just think of it as immigrant integration uh however i use the term newcomer uh to be able to include everybody who has recently come to in uh, come to Canada uh, as a newcomer maybe they could be an economic immigrant they could be asylum seekers uh, so basically to be inclusive of different types of categories of immigrants um, who are new to Canada um, when we talk about integration uh, well settlement is a challenging process so when you come to a new country you don't just face um, housing problems, you face barriers to healthcare, you face cultural barriers, language barriers. Um, And those barriers are sometimes unique uh, to newcomers and unique, uh, in fact, unique to the type of newcomer you are. Um, So it is important for the newcomers themselves and to the Canadian economy, Canadian, uh, Canadian society, to um, effectively integrate them and effectively resettle them into the society so that they feel like they are a part of this community. And that increases um, the cohesiveness of the Canadian society. So that's what newcomer integration entails. I hope that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the different, so so you use this inclusive term, and I think that's a really good idea. I think that makes a lot of sense, uh, but it is covering a lot of different groups. So can you talk a little bit about maybe the different experiences that different newcomers have? Like, I'm just imagining Canada is bringing people from everywhere who have yeah. like, like, yes, like Canada is a culture shock, but the, you're coming from many different cultures for many different reasons. How are you uh, integrating that into your integration? I love that you asked that question because when I was doing a review, when I was um, working on different programs, I mentioned the welcome group program and I don't think I completely answered that question about welcome group program, but I'll um, come back to it. Uh, So I noticed through reviews and through my experience of the program that um, a lot of the programs do not identify the heterogeneity among newcomers. So we just term them, like club them all together. But you have to understand that they come from different cultures, they come from different uh, ethnicities, and they have uh, inequalities or variances within themselves. So this is the reason why I decided to do a systematic review 
to perhaps understand the heterogeneity and variances among newcomer needs. So, in so we we I did um, do certain uh, I did find out certain preliminary results, and uh, what I find found out was there were certain things that were uh, that could be common to all newcomers. So, for example, discrimination. Uh, everybody faced that. Uh, all newcomers faced uh, some level of discrimination or prejudice, cultural shocks or cultural uh, differences. That that was a common experience. However, there were certain priorities and certain um, needs that were unique to different kinds of newcomers. So, for example, refugees were more likely to face homelessness, particularly hidden homelessness. So there are a lot of refugee programs and they would provide um, housing to asylum seekers and refugees. Uh, however, uh, what happened was a lot of them would have to live in conditions where they are crammed, poor housing conditions, and they are crammed up with other members, um, many members of their family. And sometimes would also have to live with uh, their abusers, for example, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So that uh, was termed as hidden homelessness, which was not properly accounted for in statistics. So that was uh, something unique to refugees. Uh, on the other hand, uh, women Im immigrants who were women and who came from South Asian um, countries often faced um, uh, the unique need of uh, rather unique challenge of domestic abuse and um, low, uh, lack of control. In fact, even women who, um, who expressed positive experiences after, uh, after immigration, their experiences, their narratives were very well defined or focused around how they had supportive husbands. So their experience relied about, upon whether they had supportive husbands, whether they did not have supportive husbands, whether they had abusive husbands. So I thought that this was a really important uh, distinction to be made so that the programs, uh, for example, the Welcome Group program or any other uh, program that um, aims at immigrant integration or newcomer integration, they need to understand the, those uh, distinctions to make the, their program more effective and more efficient. That's really interesting. Um, it's it's I I just find it again interesting that you're talking about um, the unique variances between different types of of groups of immigrants and and people coming to Canada, and I think that's really important to touch on. But when you talk about variance, it's it's very it's very big. Like you said, it's very personalized. People have different needs, um, different and have different experiences. So my question for you, Farine, would be, you know, you, how do you how do groups like your welcome group how do they attend to these different different needs and and variant uh, experiences of newcomers? Um, it just it seems really overwhelming. So I'm wondering how organizations like the one you're part with um, handle that. Yeah. Um, so if I talk about Welcome Group program in particular, uh, they are using a term called social capital. So they try to provide an enhanced social capital for uh, the refugees because they understand that not all programs, especially uh, 
the ones that are funded or that the ones that require funding from outside that are conducted by not-for-profit organizations not all they cannot really provide housing they cannot really provide jobs mm -hmm. instead they would provide social support or through um so what welcome group program does is they hired uh, 45 volunteers including interpreters uh, so they help them address first of all identify unique challenges of the families of refugees so your unique challenge could be language barrier some for some for other people language might not really be a problem so it makes no sense to give them language training or um, you know assist them uh, assist them in that challenge so they identify unique challenges of uh, each refugee family or newcomer family and then they work on that um, together. They identify how they would work on it and they provide social support to them. So I think the social support and social capital becomes an integral part because, um, uh, because what they do is also not just um, rather provide them with information on how to actually um, use facilities because there are a lot of facilities in Canada. Uh, the government provides many programs uh, for integration um, and so do not for profit. But the issue is that a lot of people might not have the awareness and even access to them if there is no uh, access to the information. So one of the things that the volunteers do is provide access to the information, access to the resources so that the newcomers or their families are able to help themselves, basically. So, yeah, that's um, yeah, that's that's in the context of the program itself. OK, that's really cool. And I have a question now about your experience, because you came to Canada in 2022. And so you're also a newcomer to Canada. So how does that perspective influence your work? Or is that why you kind of got into this is because you had that experience. So what does that perspective give you when you're approaching this research? Really good. That's a really good question. Yeah, I think it does add a lot of um, perspective to the experience. Of course, I will never know what it is like to uh, be a refugee. I mean, I don't know if I will ever know. I, I have never known what it's yes. like to be a refugee. <laughs> yeah. You never know with the environment, climate change yeah. and everything, you could be a climate refugee. It's, I've, I've heard that it is less like, it's more likely that you become a refugee than it is to become a billionaire. I'm sure that's right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, of course, I have to understand my positionality when I'm doing that. I did have experiences of discrimination because I was um, a Muslim woman in India. Uh, so I was a minority there, but also I was, I am agnostic. So I also uh, had experiences of um, inter-minority uh, or intra-minority, I guess, intra-minority discrimination. Um, so that does um, help in understanding the perspectives of clients that I'm dealing with or mm. um, uh, that I'm talking to, that I'm interviewing. So yeah, so when I came to Canada, I think that cultural shock wasn't really a big problem. There were a few things um, that, you know, just 
general things that I needed to be adapted to. Uh, the reason cultural shock wasn't a big problem because my I came here because of my husband and we have dated each other for like 10, 12 years. So I've always known what goes around, uh, what goes on here. So mm -hmm. yeah, but when I came here, what I realized was I really need to get an education here to be able to get a job. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the sole reason why I got into the program because I did want to go back to university. But one of the main um, learnings, and I wouldn't, I, I don't want to generalize this from just my experience, but this is again from review studies, working with refugees, working with interpreters who have had experience of being newcomers themselves and refugees themselves, is that there's a huge problem of underemployment uh, among uh, refugees. So they might not, uh, among newcomers in general, or people who are internationally trained and internationally educated. So they might not be unemployed, they might be employed, but they wouldn't be employed in either the fields of their expertise, or at the level of um, their expertise. So yeah, that's one of uh, the learning and experiences that I've had here. And it does help me uh, relate with the clients. I'm, I'm curious about the employment that you, the employment issue that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, is in your studies, have you been able, is there a way that, I guess this might be a weird question. Is there a way that um, we can help these newcomers get to their fields of expertise? Like, is there a certain common needs that maybe you've identified or others have identified that might um, assist them to getting back there? Yeah, there are a lot of ways that this issue can be tackled. Um, and there are a lot of workshops and mentor programs that have been happening. Again, the uh, one of the issues is that uh, a lot of people might not have access to those programs. Um, one of the things that I think World Education Services is doing is credential evaluation. I mean, they, they, they are known for credential evaluations, but what they are doing for refugees is they, um, they developed a program. I think it's called the West Gateway Program. And they help out, um, uh, help to evaluate credentials of refugees who have very limited documents, especially those who got displaced and may not have access to their institutions to get all the documents that people require here. And of course, when that happens, a lot of employer employers and institutions might be hesitant in um, giving them a job, giving them uh, an opportunity. So having that credential evaluation and having such a report would definitely allow them to um, at least bridge that gap a little bit and have some kind of um, authenticity and some kind of proof to their academic achievements. So I, yeah, there are... Um, programs in place but there are multi multiple ways that they can they can be improved and more programs could be introduced mm -hmm. which brings us again back to your research and, and the research that you're doing to bridge those gaps a little bit uh, mm -hmm. so I have a question about your research method so you're doing a systematic review 
Uh, so I'm a biology student. And so when I do research, I go in the lab and I like thaw some samples and I mix chemicals together. Uh, but so I'm always very interested in hearing about people who aren't doing that kind of research. So what does research look like for you? How are you getting the data that you're putting into that review? Mm -hmm. um, so I'll start with systematic review was actually something that started as a course in my program. And uh, yeah, it was one of the most difficult courses that I took. I, I struggled. <laughs> I cried because everybody in my class was, was a PhD um, candidate and they would talk about their research projects. And I would be like, I don't have a project. I would be completely intimidated. Oh. But fortunately, yeah, but, um, yeah, fortunately um, my professor actually encouraged me. He was like, that this is actually something that you can take forward. And that gave me the motivation to um, uh, to actually uh, take it forward. And I was able to um, hire, rather recruit uh, more people into it. I think we have like five people in the team right now because uh, systematic reviews cannot really be done by one person or even two people. Uh, coming to the method, what I have started to do is um, we are looking at peer review studies who have done qualitative interviews or qualitative studies of um, the barriers, challenges, and needs that newcomers faced on different types of newcomers faced in Canada. So there are two gaps that we are filling. One, that it has to be Canada specific so that any kind of recommendations that come out of it, any kind of conclusions that come out of it are able to, um, are able to facilitate programs in Canada. Uh, secondly, they are comparative, which is a throwback to our conversation in the beginning about, so that we could compare and uh, properly represent the variances in heterogeneity among newcomers. So what we do is we have been using COVIDins. We I developed a search strategy during the course um, and through this, we looked at different databases. So we looked at um, a data, a large data space such as Scopus, and then um, particular subject-wise databases. So, for example, PsycInfo and uh, ProQuest uh, Sociology, for example. And then we all we could also supplement it with gray literature. So, what systematic review does is it is able to combine. Um, studies that have already been done um, and able to give a more um, evidence-based, um, give a more evidence-based results um, so that uh, we could be more confident in what the literature has found as of yet. So the reason I kept it qualitative was that we understood that Quantitative studies, unfortunately, are not able to very well capture um, the voices of women and um, people from developing countries and minorities. So that would be an issue when we are studying um, immigrants and refugees, and a lot of them are women. So, um, yeah, so that's the reason that we are doing a qualitative metasynthesis, which means that we would be synthesizing results from different qualitative or mixed method studies that have qualitative sections, and we would be synthesizing them into um, one study so that we are able to confirm that this is what the literature base has or what the evidence base has found up until now, and we are able to 
utilize and leverage that um, and use that to advise or re make recommendations for programs. And they are able to, um, because, uh, because a lot of those programs have to be efficient. Um, so yeah, that's the, that's the idea to make, make programs more efficient and more effective. And Farin, would that be something that coming out of this project, that's something that you hope to improve in a Canadian context? Like when you talk about recommendations, like are improving these programs sort of the end game that you want to get out of this project? Uh, for sure. I mean, my course, my program is a policy-based uh, program. So yeah. I do want it to have an effect. I, I do want it to have a social impact. Um, I think in the beginning, I talked about how I did not publish my first master's uh, dissertation. That was because I did not think that it would have an impact, a social impact. And I did not want to do something that wouldn't be socially meaningful. Um, my my now I, I did another publication when uh, at that time I was I had no idea about how qualitative research works and but I took that upon this was uh, around COVID uh, in India and there was a lockdown and there were a lot of migrant workers on the street and they uh, they bore the brunt of most of uh, the issues that came from lockdown so. Um, I took up qualitative study because I knew that you could not give them a questionnaire and ask them to fill it. It wouldn't, um, first of all, a lot of them are not uh, uh, literate or rather, uh, uh, or understand English or could fill up uh, surveys. So that's the, that was my motivation then, and it is my motivation now. However, the things that I would change is at that time, I think I was not very well aware as to how to make proper policy recommendation versus now I think I've become a little better at it. So yeah, that's, um, there are things that I would change how at how I approach the study, approach this review and how I would disseminate uh, this uh, review. All right. So your course is wrapping up though. And so yeah. you're, you're almost done it. So I want to ask yeah. what's next for you. What are you going to do now? Hmm. Yeah. I've never had something went by so fast because <laughs> it's just been eight months. Uh, and now I would be doing an internship. So third term would be internship. I mentioned world education services West. So I would be a research and evaluation uh, intern there. Uh, what's next? Um, I think I would be consistent to what I said, if not in, in immigrant in, uh, integration itself, but just have some kind of social impact and be able to represent um, people who do not, uh, whose voices are not often heard. So yeah, that would be my larger goal um, uh, moving forward. And um, okay, I have, a, I have a perfect last question to awesome. round us out. Um, I don't know if it's in the, within the scope of your research, but since we were talking about newcomers and everything, um, I couldn't help but think, is there any application that you've seen um, to maybe grad life? I know we have a lot of newcomer students, you know, we have a lot of international students and, and it's, it's very hard sometimes for them to get integrated into um, grad life here, life in general in Canada. 
have you is that a part of any of the research you've done or have you just seen it at, at any stage of your program really mm, I want to hear mm. the answer to this too yeah um I need to think about it but I, I think it's more more than my research I've had uh, friends who have had um, who are international students and I do think as I've said earlier one of the major um, resource that one can provide is social capital mm -hmm. and I know that grad club and um, you know uh, SOGS has so many events which I love I, I try yeah. to attend mm, all of them especially karaoke club um, <laughs> so yeah I think uh, we could definitely encourage more um, more offline meetings and more um, uh, socialization for uh, international students. I think that's uh, that's the number one thing that we could do. Of course, there are so many other issues that uh, they face. Uh, housing, I know that she's, uh, one of my friends is definitely overpaying for her uh, house. Uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's one of the many things that we can, um, we can provide for international students, but the number would be social capital. It's a big issue. I agree. <laughs> I just I had to ask it. Um, yeah. But with that, just because we're almost, I think we're out of time. Um, do you have any social media or um, lab related, research related websites that you'd like to share or that people can learn a bit about your research from? Hmm, I should have made a website. That that's a good uh, actually suggestion. <laughs> in, You're in, in those in that question, I do need to make a website. I just have a LinkedIn, and um, I think my my research is there on ResearchGate. I need to update it, but yeah, you can you can find my uh, paper on researchgate.com slash Farheen Miraj. I think that's that's what it is. But yeah, we'll get those links from you and we'll put them in the description then. I sure. Think. So this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Megan Vole, and my co-host was Amelie Hutchinson, and we've been speaking with Farine Mirage, and this episode was also produced by Amelie Hutchinson. Um, if you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcast at sogs.ca. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. And to listen to us, we're on Radio Western at 94.9 FM. You can also find all of our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or on podcast apps like Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening and have a great night. <laughs>